with all the warmth of Trinidad and Tobago, we, I ask you to welcome Mark to the stage. God's anointing is on you. And that was a bishop this morning, wasn't it, preaching? Hallelujah. Can I say that during Lent? It's not during Mass, so you might hear a lot of hallelujahs dropped from me once in a while. It was a beautiful homily. And um, I'm, I'm now down to 29 minutes for my talk from 45, but that's okay because the introduction that Mona gave was, was really good. Um, it was a good introduction. If you were listening to it, it, was, it laid the foundation, I think, of what is going on in the world, what is happening in our times. So what time is it? No, 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 I meant what time is it in the world? I, I, you know, we don't want to assume too much, but um, actually that reminds me of uh, a time that Joseph and Mary were sitting down having lunch together, and all of a sudden Mary became very quiet, and Joseph looked across the table at her, and he said, he said, Mary, he said, what's wrong? And she looked at Joseph, and she said, I, I don't know. She said, I just, all of a sudden, it, it, it just came over me that that I'm not going to be buried here, but that someday my body, soul, and spirit will be taken into heaven. And Joseph looked at her and he said, my Mary, that's, that's quite an assumption. <laughs> all, all the Catholics got that one. Hallelujah, what a joy to be here in Trinidad. Um, actually, Mona and I were talking a few weeks ago, you know, with everything going on with this coronavirus, right? You know, I said, Mona, we have to prepare for the fact that we may not, this may not go forward. You know, the airlines could block me, or if, you know, if it landed here on this island, the, the public events. I mean, this is, the, this is what's going on in Japan and South Korea. It's happening. Their masses have been stopped in the entire country in those places. You know, we have to, we have to pay attention to the signs of the times. You, you mentioned Our Lady of Medjugorje, and she said, speak about the signs of the times. Talk about them. There's something wrong with us in the Catholic Church today. We don't want to talk about the signs, or we don't talk about the end times. No, we don't do that, do we? No, it's, that's for those Marian people <laughs> or those crazy charismatics, right? But we, we don't talk about that in the church, which is nonsense, of course, because when the apostles asked Jesus, what will be the signs of the end times? Did you know that Jesus didn't look at them and say, oh, that's, we don't talk about that. That's doom and gloom. No, Jesus immediately addressed them. He didn't speak in parables. He didn't speak in a story. He immediately began to speak to them saying, you will know, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. 
There will be earthquakes and famines and plagues from place to place. But this is only the beginning of the labor pains. So what time is it? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Yeah, I know I got to watch. I'm okay. That's what I want to talk about. Do I have your permission? Yes. So I'm going to do what is, what is politically incorrect in our church, and I'm going to speak about the time and what time it is here on earth because Mama Mary has asked us to, and our Lord himself told us to watch and to pray that the day may not take you like a thief in the night. And oh, that's a warning as you spoke that. I hear it. I hear it today, not as a scripture verse. I hear it clearly in my heart as Jesus speaking to his bride this morning here in Trinidad. And blessed are you to hear it. Blessed are you not to hear Mark Mallet. No. In fact, that's kind of disappointing to me. I was kind of hoping I could hear somebody else this morning. No, that you get to hear what the Spirit is saying to the bride. Listen, one day, some generation will be the generation of the end times. And as we look around at what's happening in the world, as we see that Our Lady is appearing all over the world, the woman clothed with the, with the sun from Revelation, as we listen to the mystics and seers and prophets that God is sending to his church, I think we know what time it is. John Paul II said in the heart of the night, we can feel frightened and insecure about this. And we impatiently await the coming of the light of dawn. And then he said, dear young people, it is up to you to be the watchman of the morning who announce the coming of the sun who is the risen Christ. Did you catch that? Jesus said, and I was there at World Youth Day. I was younger. When he said to us youth, he said, I am calling you to be watchmen of the morning who announce the coming of the Son who is the risen Christ. Jesus is coming. He's coming. Jesus Christ is coming. But he's not coming to end the world. He is coming to establish his reign on earth as spoken of in the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet St. John in Revelation. And I'll speak about this over the weekend. So bear with me. You're not going to get it all in one talk. I will unfold this as the weekend progresses. But Jesus is coming. I heard a story from the underground church in China. A friend of mine who, um, who's uh, connected to the underground church in China told me this. A very credible source. And he said that a couple up in the high mountain regions of China, an old elderly couple, came down into one of the cities in China. And they asked for one of the underground leaders of the underground church in China. As you know, the, the authentic and true church is underground in China. And it's being heavily persecuted as I speak. And this couple began asking for the name of this woman, of the leader of this one particular group. And they finally, they found her, this Chinese couple. And when they found her, they said, we were sent here to tell you that a man appeared to us and we saw him in a white robe with a beard. And he said to find you and tell you, I'm coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming, but it's not in the way you think. You see, for a long time now, we as Catholics, we, we, we get American television and American televangelists who are telling us that there's going to be a rapture and a tribulation and then Jesus comes. And that is not the Catholic vision of the end times. It's not. So I'm going to explain this to you today. But first of all, today, this morning, what time is it? In 1917, an angel appeared to three children in Fatima. And he had a flaming sword. And he, he held it high and he was about to strike the earth. 
I should mention to you, later on in, in uh, Sister Lucia, one of the seers, in her diary. By the way, can you understand me okay? Okay. I'm working on your accent, man. It's, I, I, it's like a, I can't explain, it's like a blend of Jamaican and British. It, is that right? Tr Trinidad. How dare you say British? We, we were colonized by the British, but we've quickly forgotten them, so please don't bring them up again. Of course. My apologies to you this morning. Um, actually, I have a friend from Canada who was a wonderful evangelist when we, we worked together many years ago, uh, Nigel Boos. Anybody here know Nigel Boos in Canada? Nigel and Jackie? Yes, they're dear friends of mine. So he was so excited to hear I was coming here. So pray for Nigel. He's uh, fighting cancer right now. So, yeah, so pray for Nigel. So Sister Lucia, later on, she, was, she gave an explanation of what this angel was doing. And she had a vision that when the angel struck the earth with its sword, this is many years later, that the whole axis of the earth shifted and there was a great earthquake throughout the entire world. And this apparently was what this angel of the Lord was about to do at Fatima. And then suddenly, Our Lady appeared in a bright light, and the three little children saw her. And light emanated from Our Lady, and it shone toward the angel and stopped the angel, who then turned to the whole world and cried out three words, Penance! 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 Which means to repent. Turn from your ways and return to Jesus. And with that, brothers and sisters, the world entered a time of mercy. You see, we have these Divine Mercy conferences and they're wonderful. But we've got to once in a while step back and understand the big picture, the whole context of why Jesus sent, uh, appeared to St. Faustina. Why Jesus has appeared like this and given those five words. We have to step back and understand that the divine mercy revelations weren't about Jesus just saying that my mercy is infinite and unfathomable, but that this mercy, this time of mercy is being given to you, he said, before the day of justice comes. And I'll explain later what the day of justice is, the day of the Lord, but it's not a 24-hour day. And this is the mistake that's being made, as I was saying, by our evangelical brothers and sisters to think that the day of the Lord is a 24-hour day when Jesus comes and returns and ends the world. It's not. And I'll explain later what the vision was of the early church fathers right from the book of Revelation. And so the angels stopped and we entered a time of mercy. How do we know this? Because St. Faustina asked Jesus, who appeared to her as a king. This is really important. He appeared to her as a king because Jesus is coming to reign. He's coming that his kingdom, his kingdom of the divine will to come and reign on earth. Because that's what was lost in the garden. The will of God was reigning in Adam and that's how everything was in harmony, how everything was beautiful. And when Adam departed from the will of God, everything went into chaos. And Jesus appeared to her as a king, and he said, I am prolonging the time of mercy for the sake of sinners, but woe to them if they do not recognize this time of my visitation. As the bishop this morning was saying about all the different covenants, right, throughout salvation history, when, when God would reveal his love in his mercy for us, we would reject it. And when Jesus came, we rejected and crucified Jesus. And as I sat in the chair, I could feel the sorrow of Jesus this morning. Because after 2,000 years, after all that God has given us, think of it. 
how Christianity spread through the world and turned pagan cultures, uncivilized cultures, into beautiful, ordered societies, not perfect societies. The Roman Empire was transformed by the gospel. And you can still see it in Europe today, remnants of it, houses where there's statues that they would build into the houses of Mary and the saints, beautiful cathedrals, towering above villages. Something was going on that men and women took every resource they had and together they built these monuments. As my, one of the producers of one of my albums said to me, he went to Notre Dame in Paris before the fire several years ago. And he walked in, and I, 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 I honestly don't think his, his faith is very deep. I don't, he's not a practicing Catholic. But he walked into Notre Dame, and he looked around, and he said, Whoa, something was going on. He was evangelized by what he saw. Something was going on that these churches were built and at the very center, at the very center was this golden tabernacle. And if you talk to a Christian, a Catholic, they would tell you the King of Kings is there. The Lord of Lords is there. Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my body, whoever drinks my blood and my body is true food, he said, and my blood is true drink. And whoever eats and drinks my body and blood has eternal life. And for 2,000 years, Christians have eaten and drinking the body and blood of Christ as we did this morning. Don't be fooled by the disguise of bread and wine. That's all it is. The king was here. Now he's in you. And you have eternal life if you believe. If you don't believe, then all those graces went somewhere else. And so we're living in a time, we're living in a time of mercy. And after all that God has done, these cathedrals, the, the, the civilization, the order of law, the Judeo-Christian law that we have inherited here in Trinidad and North America and Europe, you know, as I traveled through Europe, there were churches all over the place with bodies of incorrupt saints. I walked into this one chapel in France, and I walk in, and there's nobody in the church, and I come around the corner, and there's this glass casket, and lying there like she's sleeping is St. Bernadette Subaru. Like she's sleeping. There's just a light bit of makeup on her skin otherwise. Tell me, how many of you have left milk or meat out on the cupboard for a week, and you, you went away for holidays and forgot about it? Yeah, it doesn't look too good after a week. She's been there over 120 years, and the world still does not believe that God exists. Did you know the communists had their own incorrupt? They did, their own incorruptible. His name was Vladimir Lenin. I think it was Lenin, or was it? No, it was Stalin, sorry. And he would be in a casket back in the days when communism in the USSR was, US, uh, put too many S's in there, <laughs> US. USSR and they would wheel out Stalin in this ca casket and then people in Moscow Square would venerate their communist father but about half an hour later they had to that's it and they would wheel him back in and refreeze him repump him with chemicals that's how they kept him incorruptible how does God do it by miracle of grace all over the world did you see St. Pio when they exhumed him, the pictures? I mean, his right hand has decayed. I think it was one of the hands, but his face is beautiful. It's perfect. Why don't you believe you have Google? Go home and Google it, incorrupt saints, and take a look at the pictures. And Our Lady appearing all over the world, not just to Catholics, but even to Muslims. Jesus is appearing to Muslims today. Go online, Google it. Read the stories of how Muslims are converting in the Middle East right now by the thousands. By the thousands because Jesus is appearing to them. And in some cases, he looks at them and he says, why are you persecuting me? And then he loves them into salvation. And then the miracles that Jesus is doing 
I've prayed over people and one woman had cancer, stage four. She's still alive today. Hallelujah. One priest, Father Tardes, Emmanuel Tardes, would travel into third world countries. He's a Catholic priest. He's, he's no longer alive. Everywhere he went and the people would come out, he healed everybody. One time he went to a village and he had a healing mass and there was hardly anybody for this service. And he said, where is everybody? And one of the villagers said, why, Father, you've healed everyone. <laughs> and yet we have atheists today, they say, give me proof that God exists. And I tell them of these things and they say, that's not proof. And I said, you know what, if Jesus appeared to you, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it because you just say it's something in my psychology that's triggering this response. This is how hard our hearts have become. And Christ is weeping once again. That's why images of Our Lady and Jesus are weeping all over the world. Some of them are weeping blood. My friends from California have an image of the divine mercy. I was there in their living room and it was weeping oil, exuding beautiful smelling oil. That image is now in the Divine Mercy um, Shrine in, I think, Massachusetts, I think is where it is. And you can, people, are, the whole public is seeing it. God is weeping because we've become so hard of heart. The miracles are all around us. But we don't want to believe. And this is the verdict, Jesus said. The light has come into the world, but the people prefer the darkness. I've been reading the, the, the 24 Hours of the Passion by Servant of God, Louisa Picaretta, and I will never see the Passion of Christ the same ever again. Did you know that when Jesus suffered his physical pains, his suffering wasn't so much because of the physical. It was his sorrow that he wouldn't be able to save souls. And Jesus would sometimes beg the Father. He would say, more pains, more pains so that I can make more reparation. And he hung on the cross as long as he could, saying, Father, I'm doing this to save as many souls as I can. Let me hang longer. Let me suffer. Let my blood drop more. Let me take more lashes, more beatings, more nails. Until finally, Jesus, in his sorrow, realizing he would not save the whole world, said, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. It's finished. And those words have haunted me ever since I've read them. Because I realize there are some people, perhaps in this room today, you love your sin so much you're willing to go on the path to hell. And don't you ever say, that God throws anyone to hell. Not after what Jesus has suffered on the cross, what he has done, what he continues to do for this humanity in this time of mercy. Jesus is shaking the world now incrementally, little by little. This coronavirus is a little shaking, uh, another labor pain to wake us up so that we would come back to him. God throws no one into hell. We walk straight in, straight in. We walk straight through the doors. And I don't know how God works. He works in ways. And you know, you get glimpses of this because I meet people who aren't even going to church. And they're ready to have a conversation about God. How is that? You and I go to, to Mass. We receive the sacraments. We receive these graces, we pray the rosary, and we're struggling still. As, as the bishop said this morning, none of us is perfect, and we know it. I know it. And yet, somehow unbelievers are willing to talk about God. How is that? Because they know he's there. And God will judge them with what he's given them, and then he will judge you and I. And woe to you, because Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be required. And so you might say, well, it would be better than I didn't know. Of course not. I would never exchange touching Jesus, never exchange the companionship I have with him, the grace, 
Conf isn't confession amazing? It's the most incredible sacrament God has given us. Did you know that, that police will tell you, investigators, crime investigators, crime investigators will say that they, they will keep a case open, a cold case, for years, even decades, because they know that the human psychology is that a criminal has to tell somebody what he's done. This is what cr criminologists tell us who, who study this. They say that someone who has committed, a, they have to tell, in one, they have to get it out. And one day, they confide with somebody, they think they have their trust, and they will confess. And that person maybe will come back through the system and say, look, you reduced my years, I've got some information for you. And suddenly, 25 years later, a cold case is broken, a mass murderer or something, right? God knew that we needed to hear. We needed to hear that we are forgiven. We need to confess it, first of all, because he knew that we needed it. And then, but you know what? I mean, you can confess your sins to your taxi cab driver. You can, you can confess them to your pillow, your hairdresser. She'll listen. But they can't absolve you. Your pillow can't absolve you. But the men on this altar can. Because Jesus breathed on them in the upper room and said, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain are retained. Jesus gave the power to forgive sins to the priesthood. That's why we confess our sins. And James says in the book of James, confess your sins to one another. And Jesus knew. Did you know in Romania, when, when communism fell in Romania, the Western media came into Romania. We went into the, to the um, there were many orphanages. And did you remember the picture? Some of you who are older might remember the photos on TV and the, 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 vid, the, the, the video footage of cribs lining the walls of these orphanages. And as they began to talk to the nurses and doctors in these orphanages and the people who took care of the babies, they said, we don't understand. Many of the babies are dying, and they're completely healthy. We feed them every day, but they're dying. You know what they found out? They found out that the babies that were being held and rocked, they were the ones who lived. But because there were so many, sometimes there was only time to stand there and give them a bottle. Those were the ones who were dying. Jesus said to you and I, I will be with you until the end of time. I will not leave you orphaned. And we need to be touched. And so Jesus left us his body and his blood that every day we could touch our God and know that we are not orphaned. Hallelujah. This is good news. And there's a broken world out there that needs to hear that they can be forgiven. A broken world that's descended into such darkness through hardcore pornography and drugs and voodoo and witchcraft. And where do they turn? Where is hope for them? It's sitting in this room. But that hope often has its lips sealed because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to stir the pot. We don't want to argue. And so many souls fall into hell like snowflakes because that's what those little seers at Fatima saw. Souls falling into hell like snowflakes because no one was there to tell them Jesus is alive. As a lady said at Medjugorje, I have come to tell you that God exists. And I'm telling you this morning to all of you, especially those of you who have refused him, God exists and he loves you. And the more you refuse him, I have some bad news for you. The more he'll pursue you. Perhaps I'm tormenting you this morning. Then he will continue to torment you after I'm done. He will continue to follow you. And Jesus will continue to follow this world and he will continue to shake it. And if it takes nation rising against nation and earthquakes and plagues and famines from place to place, this is what he'll do. And this is what he's doing. The shaking has begun. We are entering into these times that Jesus said to St. Faustina. He said to her, 
From here in Poland must go forth the spark which will prepare the world for Jesus' final coming. So now we are in this period, according to these revelations, of the end times. Indeed, Jesus said again to St. Faustina, Speak to the world about my mercy. Let all mankind recognize my unfathomable mercy. It is a sign for the end times, and after it will come the day of justice. And again, I'll explain to you what the day of justice is later. But we are in the end times. And some of you are probably sitting there going, oh, come on. Whoa. <laughs> come on, everybody says their times are the end times, right? Right? But St. Cardinal Newman said this. He said, sure, he said, I know that all times are perilous. And that in every time, serious and anxious minds alive to the honor of gods and the needs of man are apt to consider no time so perilous as their own, right? But our times has a darkness different in kind from any that has been before it, he said. The special peril of the time before us is the spread of that plague of infidelity that the apostles and our Lord himself have predicted as the worst calamity of the last times. Not the earthquakes, not the, the plagues, but this lack of fidelity, this apostasy. That is the worst calamity of the last times of the church, and at least a shadow, a typical image of the last times is coming over the world. That was St. Cardinal Newman in 1890. What would he say today? He might say what St. Pius X said in 1910 in an encyclical. Who can fail to see that society at this present time, more than in any past age, is suffering from a terrible and deep-rooted malady, which is eating away at its inmost being? You know what it is, he said. It is apostasy from God. Now listen to this. He said, when all this is considered, there's good reason to fear and that perhaps the beginning of those evils which are reserved for the last days are here and that there may already be in the world the son of perdition whom the apostle speaks of, the Antichrist. 1910, he may already be on the earth, said Pope Pius X. What would he say today when he walks through our malls with life-size Victoria's Secret posters. And he sees our children addicted to pornography and video games. When he sees that sexually transmitted diseases are epidemic in, in Canada and the United States. Probably here. And on and on. And you know the evils of the world. But what would he say? He might say what Pope Leo XIII said. That the sin has become so frequent that those dark times seem to have come which were foretold by St. Paul. When the love of many grows cold. Pope Paul VI, he said, I sometimes read the gospel passage of the end times and I attest that at this time some signs of the end are emerging. These are your popes. This isn't me. These are your popes telling you, warning you, waking us up to tell us you have arrived in the end times, children of God. As Pope Benedict said, the problem is that we have the same sleepiness as the apostles in the Garden of, Eden, or Garden of Gethsemane, don't we? He said the sleepiness is ours. We don't hear God because we don't want to be disturbed. And so we remain indifferent to evil, said Benedict XVI. The sleepiness is ours, of those of us who do not want to see the full force of evil and do not want to enter into his passion. That's us. That's this generation. As it says in the Catechism, before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover when she will follow her, follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. So this is what is coming, the passion of the church. We are going to follow our Lord. But what comes after that? Resurrection. 
This is what John Paul II said at the very beginning of this talk. Announced to the young people. He said, in the heart of the night, we can feel frightened. It's the night of the passion of the church. But it is time to announce the coming of the morning, the coming of a new dawn, an era of peace, because that's also what Our Lady promised at Fatima. She said, unless Russia is consecrated to me, she said, it will spread its errors throughout the world. Do you know what the errors of Russia are? This, by the way, when she appeared and said that, that was before communism was birthed in Russia. It was one month later that Lenin and his henchmen stormed into Moscow and the, and the communist revolution began. Before that, Our Lady said to three little kids, Russia will spread her heirs through the world unless it is consecrated to me. And the popes didn't consecrate. And what has happened? The heirs of Russia have spread. What are the heirs of Russia? Atheism, materialism, Darwinism, Marxism, which has evolved into socialism, communism. Brothers and sisters, can you see in America, over half of young people say that they want to elect socialism, a socialist candidate in that country. America, who fought against the USSR to end communism, is on the threshold of embracing it. The young people in the world are disenchanted. They no longer believe in the church because they see and are told every day that the church is just a gang of pedophiles, a gang of rapist priests. And they come to our parishes, mostly in Europe, in North America, up in Canada. But I don't know, pretty down here, you guys are pretty alive, boy. But in Canada, we're dead. And the young people walk in and the music is dead. The homilies are often dead. Everything is dead and they say, why? And then they read the headlines. And then they look at their government leaders who are weak and pathetic and say and do anything to get elected. They have been primed and prepped for an antichrist. I'm just saying it right out straight to you. This generation is ready. And if you think the antichrist will appear with horns, you're wrong. He'll appear as an environmentalist. He will appear as a... As a peacemaker, to unite the nations. He will appear as one to end wars, to bring food in the midst of plague. The shelves are being emptied right now as we speak, even in Canada. They're making food runs. Everybody's panicking. It's the great setup. We've been set up. It's the passion of the church. And there will be a Judas. And there will be betrayers. But we have the Holy Spirit, and in Christ we are victorious. And with Our Lady, we have been given a refuge. She said, my immaculate heart. And those who are faithful, Jesus says this in Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my message of endurance, I will keep you safe in the time of trial that is coming upon the earth. That's Jesus' promise. Is John, now listen, John Paul II said this. I've quoted a whole bunch of popes, but let me quote one more pope. John Paul II, he came to America in 1976, and to all the cardinals, he said this. We are facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, the gospel and the anti-gospel, Christ versus the antichrist. It is a trial which the whole church must take up, but it lies within the plans of divine providence. Deacon Keith Fournier was there. He said those words, Christ versus the Antichrist. He heard them. They're often not quoted for some reason in the papers. So this is where we are. But listen, three years later, John Paul II became Pope. And when he stood on St. Peter's balcony, he looked across the whole world, knowing that we are facing the final confrontation and this is what he said. Be not afraid. <laughs> Open wide your hearts to Jesus Christ. 
Do not be afraid. Young people, give Christ a chance. Open wide your hearts to Jesus. You know why? You know why he said that? Because St. John said, perfect love casts out all fear. And if you open wide your heart to Jesus, God, who is love, will enter and cast out fear. And you will face the Antichrist with joy. You will face him with courage. You don't, you don't feel it now. Right now what you're feeling is Gethsemane. Me too. So did Jesus. But Jesus suffered in Gethsemane because it was about souls, not about what he had to face. Do you know what it says in Hebrews? For the sake of the joy that lay before him, he took up the cross. So for the sake of the joy that lies before the passion of the church, it is time for us to take up the cross. As Mona said, time for more serious fasting, prayer, intercession. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to stop seeking comfort. Because a time of miracles is coming. And God wants you to be ready. What is coming is going to be the shaking of the earth. And our lady needs an army of souls who are ready. Ready for the people who say, what happened? I didn't see it coming. Christine is probably going to speak about the coming warning. Part of the shaking that's coming is a warning God's going to give the whole planet. It's right in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, I believe it. It says, a great shaking comes to the whole world. And people think it's the judgment. The lamb who is slain is what they see, Christ crucified, or at least a cross. Depends on the mystic who's seen it. But many have talked about what's coming. And the church has got to be ready. You have to be ready to tell people it's okay. He's mercy itself. You might say, how am I going to, I don't know the caddy, I'm not a theologian. Can I teach you five words? Five words that you need to give the world when the shaking comes. Jesus, I trust in you. It says in the Acts of the Apostles, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Read that, the prophecy of Joel. It talks about sons and daughters prophesying. It talks about a great shaking, about this, this time of tribulation. And it ends that passage saying, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God made it so simple for us. Five words. Jesus, I trust in you. By those five words, prayed with the heart, Jesus is going to save the world. You're going to see abortionists repent. You're going to see men and women who make pornography repent. You're going to see evangelicals come in. They're going to dance around our tabernacles. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, why didn't you tell us Jesus was here? And what are we going to say? I was afraid you might make fun of me. Oh, let it not be us. Let us not be the ones. Well, I'm sure I'm out of time, right? Okay. This five minutes left? Okay. I, I understand. This is a wake-up call. Absolutely. This is a cold shower for many of us because it's not business as usual anymore. It's not. And I want to tell you something, and I say this with love. If you're going to dance with sin, the devil's going to step on your toes. The time of God's tolerance of our sin is over. He tolerated the, the Israelites. He did. He put up with them. And then finally he said, no more. You're a stiff-necked people. And some of them didn't enter the promised land. And God is now saying to us, no more. I've tolerated it. I've given you this time of mercy, but now we are transitioning into the time of justice. The labor pains are getting closer together. They're getting harder. This coronavirus is a warning to us. This is what St. Cardinal Newman said. I want to share this with you. Uh, he, was very, uh, he was very in tune, this man. Uh, very prophetic. He said this, Satan may adopt the more alarming weapons of deceit in these end times. He may hide himself. Ah. 
He may attempt to seduce us in little things, comforts. I like my chocolate. I like my coffee. Unfortunately, those little things become bigger. I like my pornography. I like my whatever, right? Uh, not me. <laughs> but we do say this. I mean, I have my own sins, right? And Satan does this so to move the church, not all at once, but little by little from her true position to the point today, brothers and sisters, we have bishops, bishops, who are suggesting that we need to let gay marriage take place in the church. Bishops who are saying masturbation isn't a mortal sin. It's not a big sin. Who are saying that adultery is not adultery. Bishops, little by little, we've been moved from our position. And so St. Cardinal Newman, he says, I do believe he's done much in this way in the course of the last few centuries. Again, remember, this was written in the 19th century. It is his policy to split us up and divide us, to dislodge us gradually from our rock of strength. Now listen, he says, if there is to be a persecution, perhaps it will be then, perhaps when we are all, so, so, all of us in all parts of Christendom so divided. I mean, let me just stop that. How many people today that I never dreamed five years ago would set themselves against the Pope or doing so today. I'm not saying Pope Francis is perfect. None of our popes are perfect, just in case you didn't know. Pope Francis's way of communicating is not what we're used to. He leaves some things unsaid, some things undone. But I have a writing out there, my blog called On Pope Francis, and how he has been consistent with the teachings of the church. Thousands of people have read it. Because all they see is the, the dramatic headlines, unfortunately, from conservative news media who are fostering and fomenting the division of Satan. But let me warn you, there is only one rock on which Jesus built the church. And if you separate yourself from the Pope, you are de facto outside of the church. This doesn't mean if the Pope sins, or that you need to follow a sin of the Pope. It and if the Pope is unclear, then be the voice of clarity. We've had to do this for Benedict XVI even. John Paul II, we've had to clarify things they've done. Let's get over it and realize no Pope can destroy the church of Jesus Christ. No Pope. In fact, what I'm seeing Pope Francis do is he is testing. God is using him to test the faith of Catholics because your faith, some of you, was not in Jesus. It was in the papacy. It was in the clarity of John Paul II. And now that you don't have that clarity, you're panicking and you're flailing like the apostles in the boat. We're sinking. We're drowning. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat going, I'm here. What are you talking about? You have little faith. I'm here. And I will calm the waves when it's time. But this is the moment of faith. And so says St. John Newman, if there is to be a persecution, perhaps it will be then. When we are all, so, all of us so divided and so reduced, so full of schism, so close upon heresy, when we have cast ourselves upon the world and depend for protection upon it, is the coronavirus a wake-up or what? Suddenly we're realizing all our goods and medicines come from one country, I'm serious. Our children don't even know how to plant gardens. We depend on four or five multinational corporations to feed us. I'm telling you, there's mystics who had visions of people in New York City tearing up pavement so they could plant gardens again to grow their own food. Then, then when we've given up our independence and our strength, then Antichrist may burst upon us in fury as far as God allows him. Brothers and sisters, you are children of the light. Let me close on this. You are children of the light. You are not children of the night, says St. Paul. We are apostles of the day. It's time for us to start walking that way. It's time this weekend for us to enter into divine mercy and weep and say, Jesus, you're right. 
I love my sin too much. You're right, Jesus, I've been compromising. You're right, Jesus, but I repent. And like the bishop said so beautifully this morning, you can say, but I don't know how to stop my passions. Help me, Jesus. And the answer is simply to that is Jesus will say, stay close to me. Draw near to God, it says in the book of James, and God will draw near to you because he's a gentleman. God doesn't force himself. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Stay close to me in the sacraments, the five stones you spoke of, fasting, prayer, the Bible, the sacraments. This has been given to us. You have daily mass in Trinidad. Some of you can go to it, but instead you play on your phones. I'm serious. It's time for us to grow up. Look at what's going on in the world. And you are a son and daughter of the Most High. You don't understand the dignity that you have. It's incredible that God has made you to be a co-redeemer with him. He is the mediator, but he who mediates has given to us the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and the full force of the enemy. And we don't do it. So Satan is running loose in Trinidad. You have the power. I mean, maybe Father Jim will tell you some of the stories of what he's done with holy water. Outside of strip clubs and so on that a week later we're no longer there after he did that. We have power and we have authority in Christ. We have gifts, weapons, says St. Paul, to tear down strongholds. Is your children left the church? Start fasting, because some of these demons cannot come out without fasting and prayer. You've already surrendered, some of you, without the battle even having begun. We need knowledge again. We need to understand these things. You need to read the Bible. You need to start listening to speakers who can talk to your heart. You can go to my blog, thenowword.com. Start reading what you need to do to prepare for these times. Okay, so you've had the cold shower. I'll turn the temperature up in my next talk, okay? <laughs> I say all of this with tremendous love. It's tremendous love for you. I wouldn't have come. I wouldn't have come this way in the middle of a pandemic if I didn't love you. Jesus speaks a hard word to us. You know what Pope John Paul II said? Jesus is demanding because he wishes your happiness. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is demanding because he wishes your happiness. And when you are happy, as the, as the bishop said this morning, when you're happy, then you can help others be happy. When you live in divine mercy, then you can become a vessel of divine mercy in these end times. Amen.